0: This gospel reading takes kind of an interesting curve, doesn't it? The passage that Emily read for us gives us the impression that the people of Nazareth are proud of their hometown boy. He's made good. Wow. Where'd this come from, they ask? We were his teachers. where did he get this wisdom? Where does he get these uh, this ability to to do these deeds of power, I mean we know him, we know his brothers, we know his sisters. They lived just down the street. they had a house, nice house, they were carpenters always fixing it up. The boys ran around like a pack of dogs. We know these kids where did and now look out, look where he is, and you get the impression they're they 're about to to envision his face on the side of. A building, sort of like we do here in Louisville for our favorite children, you know Colonel Sanders or Muhammad Ali, and maybe someday my morning jacket or Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Mark tells us they took offense at him. What happened? Some years ago, our church was connected to a mission work in the Eastern European country of Macedonia. I got to go on one of the trips, and while there, I met a man named Zolce. Zolce was Rick's driver, Rick was our missionary, and Zolce was a young Albanian man. He was a, a school teacher, but in Macedonia, Albanian school teachers made almost no money at all. Their 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 schools were uh, in disarray. They had old books that weren't even in their language. And Zolce made very little money, but he was now also teaching and the driver for Rick, allowing Rick to go in places where he might not be able to find or be welcomed. We met Zolce and his beautiful wife, his two darling kids. We had a meal in their home. Zolce was an ambitious young man. Not only did he work for Rick in his off hours, but had other part-time jobs. And he saved his money week after week, month after month. And I was so excited a year or so later to learn that Zolce had been able to buy a really nice truck. He envisioned taking this truck and parlaying it into a business that might be able to afford a better future for his family. Until one night there was a knock on his door when he opened the door, a gun was placed right underneath of his nose. On the other end of the gun was his father, who demanded the keys to the truck. He was confiscating the truck because he was offended. Don't you ever shame your family, he said, by trying to rise above your father he took offense. That was a cultural experience, of course, but I have a feeling that you and I can think of instances in our own lives where we maybe stepped out of the box and done a new thing and others were offended. Maybe you were the first one in your family to go to college. Or maybe that you were the first one in your group who ran and drank and drugged together, that was able to break out of that system and become, begin to find a, a new way of living. And those who are left behind say, Hey, you're making us look bad here. You're, you're getting all of the attention. Mark tells us that Jesus had an understanding of the kingdom of God and a relationship with God. That he experienced at his baptism when he heard those words, You're my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And he took that relationship with God and did these deeds of power and had these insights into life and what God dreamed for this world. And the people of Nazareth were offended. Offense taken. I wonder why we're not offended by Jesus Are you offended by him I'm not usually offended by Jesus but then I wonder perhaps it's the Jesus that I too often let approach me the Jesus that I mostly relate to is nice guy Jesus friendly Jesus kind of Sheriff Andy Taylor Jesus you know Andy Griffith rest in peace Sort of a cross between him and the Maytag repairman, you know. We'll we'll call on you when you need when we need you. But my Jesus often is the Jesus who likes what I like, says what I say, supports what I do, likes my country, likes uh, likes my politics, likes everything about me. But a Jesus whose light reveals my shadows. Reveals the shadows of the society that we live in. A Jesus whose ways question my personal choices or our national policies. A Jesus who reveals our nationalism and our ethnocentrism and our superstitions and our preoccupation with trivial things. A Jesus who calls us to move out of self-centeredness that gets displayed in everything from recreational sex to global warming. Not so much. Offense taken, Jesus. In Luke 4, we read the story of Jesus' first sermon that he delivered to the home folk. I remember my first sermon delivered to the home folk. It was awful but at least they didn't try to throw me off a cliff like they did Jesus. He offended them. And then this sad line from Mark, without their openness to this new way, Mark says, Jesus could do no mighty works there as he had done elsewhere. They were closed and his ability to bring God to them was closed. But there were some, rather than staying offended, some moved on toward openness. They began to wonder what if he's saying, what if what he's saying is true? What if his way is the way, and his truth is the truth? And what if this life really is the life? What if the picture of the kingdom of God that Jesus is painting for us is real? What if this greater wisdom and this depth of understanding and this capacity to convey God's miraculous healing power, what if it's, what if it's real? What if we can move beyond power that is always Evidenced in violence. What if we could be people of love? And so he sent out 12 of them with the authority of his way. You go, you do what I've done. Leave your stuff at home. Leave all your other stuff at home. That way it won't be confused with what I'm doing through you. This is going to be about God. This isn't going to be about you. Leave your stuff at home and go to those people who are open to you. If they welcome you into their home, those are open people. Go there. Preach your word. Say your truth. If they don't, if they reject you, well, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. For we're looking for those people who are open to God, open to a new way and are ready to repent, that is to turn toward God. You may know that our church has been in the news this past week, a feature story about the church and its ordination of a man was on the front page of Monday's Courier Journal and it's caused quite a stir as people have asked the question, why in the world would a church ordain a man named Bojangles? <clears throat> it has caused some confusion and concern. There have been some who have been negative, who have completely rejected. And we shake the dust off, off our feet and in Love, we move on. There have been others outside the church and inside the church who have been confused or concerned that we're going to be labeled as a single-issue congregation rather than who we really are. But I have i would guess that the responses that we've received from those outside the church have been almost 10 to 1, those who find some openness in this story and some light that reveals for them something new and different, and they call and they write letters and emails with such gratitude of heart. This is what I've always thought Christianity could look like, they say. They'll say, "I haven't been to church in years, but now," or they'll say, "I thought all you Baptists were crazy, uh, and now I know you're crazy." No, uh, 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 you give you give me. A, I'm reading this with tears in my eyes. It said a half a dozen people. These are people who, in a sense, have spiritual cabin fever. Do you know what that is? Cabin fever. Like when it's so hot outside that you just can't get out. And after a while you just get sick of being inside. They're so tired spiritually of being cooped up. They're ready to break out into the way of the kingdom. And rather than offense taken, they've taken the offensive. They see this gospel And experience this gospel and this Jesus having the capacity to challenge the demons of this day and the divisions and the sickness of the age that we live in and they believe it and it washes over them and they say yes this finds this gospel this gospel that can take the offensive and step into new things, finds its expression in so many ways here at Highland, not just in the LGBT community, but in our peacemaking, in the justice work that we're trying to do, when we place crosses on the lawn in memory of those killed by an act of violence, by what we do on Friday night and the recovery ministry that we have in this church, by our work with the people in Morocco, Africa, And the refugees here in the United States. By what we do in McCreary County. In the eastern part of our state. And by what we do in Shelby Park. Not a couple miles from here. Wherever the gospel of Jesus offends us. Challenges us. Pinches us. It also calls us. And invites us. And if we're open, it will transform us and allow us to become agents of transformation. That's what happened to the church back in the 1970s and 80s in the Central American country of El Salvador. Those of you whose hair is at least as gray as mine will remember those days When that particular government was oppressing the people, killing peasants and killing civilians, working against the farmers and the peasants and telling them that's just the way it has to be. We have to run our country this way. Que sera, sera. It's the way it is. But there were some in the church who heard a different word. The establishment church said, no, this this is the way it's got to be. We've got to follow the orders. But others said, no, uh, the gospel, the gospel is not just offense. It's the challenge of Jesus to have a, a different vision for what the world could be like, what our nation could be like. And so they began to speak out and resist. They began to organize and mobilized despite the threats that came again and again. The church organized, and the military came in, and six nuns were killed. The establishment church sent a a new archbishop to lead the country, and at first he promoted the status quo, but pretty soon he too started hearing the gospel, And rather than taking offense, he joined the offensive to speak out a different word. His name was Oscar Romero. His face is in the windows of our fellowship hall, for he was martyred right in the middle of serving communion. The church continued on. There was a church, that, a Lutheran church, that took a just some simple boards, painted them white, and made a six-foot cross. One Sunday, they invited the members of their church to come forward to pick up a magic marker and list the sins and sicknesses of their country. And here came these barely literate farmers and peasants picking up the markers and in Spanish, writing on the cross words like hunger, social injustice, persecution of the church, oppression of women, unlawful seizure of our lands, and they kept that cross right near the altar as a reminder to the church of what they're supposed to work on, what the gospel is all about, and what Jesus came to redeem. And so on that Sunday, when the government raided the church and Arrested the pastors and the leaders of the church. They also confiscated the white cross. They put the cross in its own jail cell. Because they said it was subversive. Offense taken. It's the witness of the church. At the the offense of the gospel. That with great patience... Great patience, month after month, year after year, through one decade and then another, the church bore witness to the gospel. At first there was a crack, and then there was a break, until finally that day when the members of the church were freed and even the cross was returned. That subversive cross now serves as a reminder to them and to us what this gospel is about, it's curious to me how the gospel offends all of us. But that in that offense there is also a calling, a wooing to come and follow and to take up our own cross and find our own life as if the one who made us and knows us intimately knows what's best for us and for the world. And so this invitation this morning to you and me, as individuals and as the church, to take the offense of the gospel, and live it out with our very lives. But let's be aware, we're not being invited this morning to tea and cookies. We are being invited to the table of blood and body, life given and sacrificed, his life, our life, that can offend and can transform And can lead to resurrection. Because you see, we not only believe in the cross. We believe in the resurrection. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh Christ who came. To show us the heart of the holy. To reveal the depth of divine love. May we worship you today, not only with song and ritual, may we bring our very lives individually and as this community of faith so that your kingdom may come and your will may be done on earth as in heaven. We entrust our lives to you as you have invited us. In your name we pray. Amen.